there's this 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 idea that things that have things that are free have no value. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not true in all cases. Right. There's lots of things that are very valuable that don't carry a dollar dollar sign on them. But I also know that when you make something expensive, people think about whether or not it's worth investing in. You are listening to Next Up Nation, where leaders and influencers dish their secrets to inform, inspire, and entertain serious podcasters with host Tiffany Youngren. Get ready to hear at least one way to attract more loyal listeners and profit from your podcast. Remember, though, none of what we say can help you if you don't take action. So let's make it easy. If you're new to the show, go to nextstepnation.com slash listener for show notes and a free podcast budget worksheet. For our loyal listeners who want to stop dabbling and start dominating, visit nextstepnation.com slash get started to learn more about how we can help you hit your targets in the next 100 days. Now here's the show. Hey there, I'm Tiffany Youngren, host of Next Up Nation, where we help podcasters and YouTubers with vision become preeminent thought leaders in their industries. You are about to have the incredible opportunity to listen as we dig into the why, who, and what of a podcaster show. Then at the end, we will identify one powerful how, one action that he can take for results in the next 30 days. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Robert Gillette, host of Reclaiming Sales. Robert, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Reclaiming Sales has released 19 episodes since January of 2021 until the time of this recording, which is May 28th of 2021. So very short amount of time. I think it's the perfect amount of episodes to have really good questions. So Robert Gillette is is happily married with two children and a San Francisco Bay Area native. He has experience as an IT employee, a middle manager, and business owner in more industries than he'd like to admit. Robert is currently an executive at Insight, an outsourced IT provider in Northern California, where he has sold more than $1.2 million in recurring revenue, including the largest client in the company's 15-year history. Robert, I'm so excited to have you, and that is quite an accomplishment. You are so passionate about sales. Why did you start your podcast, Reclaiming Sales? Um. Well, first of all, thank you for for having me on the show. It's uh, I'm blessed to be here, oh, and thank thanks. you for for reading that bio that I need to update because I actually have three kids now. But oh. One of them's only three months old. So congratulations, I'm not that far behind. Thank you. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting. I am a third generation sales guy. Grandpa did it. Dad did it, and I never wanted to do it. I remember uh, a couple of times when I was young hearing my dad say to, to my mom, hey, we can't buy food for the next couple of days. And then like six weeks later, buying a car with all cash, just the lumpiness of the job, good days and bad days, good months and bad months, dad traveled a lot. And when I was a kid, I didn't see the benefits, like the fact that, you know, a single family uh, or single income family could own a house and have five kids. Like I didn't put any of that together. All I saw was the stress and the mm-hmm. and the challenge. And then you couple that with the fact that, you know, salespeople don't exactly have a shining reputation in the United States. Um, there's a lot of jokes up there. If you made a list of the top five most hated professions, you'd probably find salespeople somewhere in that top list. <laughs> I won't mention the others in case they're listening. I don't want to feel bad. But well, as um, a licensed real estate agent, can I just represent for a moment? <laughs> yeah, sure. If you think you make the list, that's fine. It's it's, it's really sad though it. because <laughs> yeah. 
the thing that just is a, it's just bothered me about it. And it was this discontinuity that didn't make sense in my own brain, this double think, because every company that's ever existed has had a salesperson. Right. I mean, you, someone has to control the function of me giving money and getting a thing. So why do we hate salespeople so much? And I didn't understand that. And so part of why I started this journey, uh, this podcast was to document my own journey. I mm. did land in sales six years ago. And I, six months into the job went, oh, that's why dad did it. Mm. And the autonomy you have and the money you can make and how you get to have high level conversations with business owners about their businesses. Cause I'm in B2B sales. So that's what I get to do. And I'm not saying every sales job is awesome, but this one just turns out to be kind of what I was made for. It's like my Mm. calling professionally anyways. And I just, if I had known then what I know now, I wouldn't have spent so many years trying to find what I was really good at, Hmm. which is this, this high level kind of what we call consultative sales kind of job. So that's what the podcast is about. I'm on a mission to change the way we treat salespeople and the way salespeople treat us. And, you know, we'll see if I get there. That's my big, hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) I love it. You know, it's so fast. It's always been fascinating to me. You know, I said, I'm a licensed real estate agent. It's not my day job. You know, we, I, we invest in real estate, so I like data and that's how you have to get, that's how I like to get data, but we were real estate agents and we were in the industry for a long time. And one of the things that's always been fascinated to fascinating to me is there's kind of this divide of people who just embrace sales and are, wear it. Like it's not embarrassing. It's not. And then people who are like, well, I'm not a salesperson. And, and now if I hear somebody say that it's such a limiting belief because we all have to sell. Like all of us have to sell as a person getting a job, you're selling yourself as, as a business. One thing I learned too, you know, I started my my um, marketing company in 2016. And if I knew then what I know now, I would have known that I don't care how well I build websites. I don't care how well I do social media. The only agencies that make it are, are owned and run or somehow in embedded with a good salesperson. So what you're saying, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, I think it, and it's fascinating that people reject that. Yeah. I, so I'm, I just finished the first copy of my, my, my first ebook. I don't know if it's going to be a real book or an ebook or whatever. I just wanted to get the ideas out, but I lay out these kind of foundational beliefs, these seven foundational beliefs that any salesperson should have. And the very first one is just, you are in sales Mm. and, and you'd be surprised how many people struggle with that one. But the example I give is that when I had my second kid, I schlepped my whole family out to San Francisco to sit in the office of an attorney and I paid them money and we talked for 90 minutes about my estate plan. What happens if I die? And then they sent me home and, uh, and I never got an estate plan. Like I just, I never did. I had homework. She sent me home with hard questions. I didn't know how to answer and I didn't know the implications of, and then she just never followed up with me and it's been years and I've never talked to her again. Hmm. So she has my money. I don't have an estate plan. Um, and so the question I ask is, is she a bad lawyer? Is she a bad attorney? Now, other attorneys would tell you, well, I, I, I need to look at the law and I need to look at how she drafts. And, but from a consumer standpoint, I think she's not, she's not a good attorney because I gave her money. And even if I didn't give her money, I came to her with a need 
And I left with that need unaddressed. Mm. So I don't care how good she is at the law. I didn't get what I needed from her and I had money and I was mm. ready to get, I, I needed something that she couldn't give me. And the fact that she is a board certified bar approved, whatever, doesn't matter to me as a consumer. It's that she failed as an attorney because she's not a very good salesperson. And so just this idea that if you sales, I love that you said, my joke is that everything is sales. Politics is sales. Getting my kids to eat broccoli is sales. Everything is sales in some way, shape or another, but we almost limit our own success in anything, even getting our kids to eat broccoli by taking the word sales and attaching it to it negative connotations that keep us from being excellent or pursuing excellence in it because Mm. it feels yucky. Right. Right. And one thing that you mentioned too has to, I think it's in your intro. What, so I just, I listened to like three episode openings today of your show. What is it that you say right at the beginning where you take, it's your tagline. What is it that you say? So yeah, it's uh, be successful in sales without selling your soul. Yes, I uh, love it's, that. It's worded different ways. There's a lot of S's in there, uh, but it's that's that's really the idea. And another way of explaining it, when I explain it to guests before they come on my show, is that there are these, when we think of salespeople, we think of the guy who could sell ice to an Eskimo. And we're not really sure if that's a compliment or an insult. And I think that's the heart of it right there. We see these bright, narcissistic, you know, people who can do whatever is required to make their quotas or make the money they need. And they have Rolexes and rings and nice suits and nice cars. And we can't tell if we hate them or not because they represent success, but they also represent maybe a person we don't want to be. Now, -hmm. if you want to be that person, that is okay. I'm not judging you. But in between each one of those bright spots, is a very successful person in sales who didn't have to look and act like that to get where they are. And they're just hard to see in between the shining bright stage lights of the ice to an Eskimo guy, if that makes sense. And so I want to be able to highlight those stories and bring, show people that you don't have to be that to get the success, the autonomy, the influence that you really want out of the sales profession. I love that. Well, and as we're going through, uh, as we're going through this interview, as you know, we talked about this before, by the end, I want to make sure that you've got an actionable step to grow your show. And in order for me to do that, I really want to understand what, what it's about. And the first thing is the why, and that's what we're discussing. And I actually have one more question for you on that before we move on, but we're also going to talk about who, like who your audience is, as well as what you're doing now that's already working. Because I think there's so many things that podcasters do that is already working that if you just tweak it a little bit, boom, you know, there it is. Right. But back to the why beforehand, I had asked what it was that you want from your show. And you said that you want your son who's four years old to be able to grow up into a world where people don't hate salespeople and salespeople understand how to be successful without alienating the world or selling off their soul. Why do you think that's important? And why do you want it? Well, because I'm selfish and I want it for me. Um, I want to be able to tell people at my, uh, you know, 20, 30 year high school reunion that I'm in sales and I don't have to wrap it in words like IT executive. I want people to be able to accept my LinkedIn invitation when I put, you know, sales guy or territory manager. 
instead of IT executive, which is what I put now. Because if you put sales, people won't accept your LinkedIn connection because they don't want to talk to a sales guy. Um, so that's that's part of it. There's my selfishness there. I just want I want to live in that world. But the other part of it is I believe we do ourselves and the world a huge injustice. If most, so most people find themselves, I've heard the statistic, 85% of salespeople, I don't know if that's true, but it feels right. 85% of salespeople didn't set out to be in sales. They landed in it. They kind of tripped and fell into the career because of circumstance or something. And the challenge is we don't treat it like a profession. Dave, there's this guy named Dave Saygraves that I love who who this is how he phrases it. So I'm happy to steal it from him is that we have professional CPAs and professional attorneys. We don't have professional salespeople. They don't treat their job like a profession. They don't pursue their own education. They don't go for certifications. We don't invest in their confidence. We don't invest in them as, as professionals, their resources. They're a person who sits in a chair that makes calls that sets appointments We just don't invest in them in a holistic way. If you become an attorney, you have to continue your education. Something like California, it's 25 hours a a year or something like that of continuing your education. We don't require any of that of our salespeople. Mm. We teach them the script and we unleash them on unsuspecting people who uh, just are going to get pounded, you know, at dinnertime on their phone. And that's just a terrible, I don't want that to be my son's experience. I want my son to, if my big, hairy, audacious goal is ever met, to have my son be able to go to school and choose to get a a bachelor's in science of sales. Mm. Like the same way you can go get a bachelor's of science in anything else. And when he tells people what he mastered, what he like, you know, got his undergraduate in, they go like, oh, that's cool. I got it in communications, you know, and it's just, it's just normal. I want to normalize it if that's at all possible. And maybe he won't have to avoid doing sales for so long because there's the stigma instead, just lean right into it, you know, and then find out way later in life that, wow, I should have been in sales all along, you know, instead he can just lean right into it early on. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, that leads me to another question that I had when I listened and I've got it even bigger right now. Who is your ideal audience? Who are, who's the best person that would be listening to your show? Who's it made for? Yeah. So I forget the exact acronyms. It's like the TAM, the top and the something or other, but the total addressable market is obviously anyone that's in sales, anyone that you know, believes I'm, I'm narrowing sales down from everyone in the world to people who professionally have like maybe a quota or goals they need to hit. They have, they have to, they start at zero and over the course of a week, month or year or quarter, they have to generate something. And then they either get the attaboy or the PIP plan, you know, uh, Performance improvement plan plan. So the PIP. Uh, what was then, that? I'm sorry, I didn't. What was, so it's, I, it's, it's, I don't know all the cool sales stuff. So, yes. so I, the <laughs> the PIP is a performance improvement plan. And it's okay. one of those things that managers use to put you on official warning that you are not performing at expectations. And it's scary and it's not fun. And lots of, you know, some organizations use it as an excuse to fire you. Some use it as a motivational tool to get you back on track. But it's not a fun thing. It's, a, it's like a warning shot. So like when you're in, in the plane and they tell you to land and you say no, and then bullets fly across the windshield and you go, Oh, oh I'm yeah. in trouble now. They mean it. Like so serious that's what warning. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and that makes me wonder too. So if, um, so you're trying to change people's attitudes about salespeople by changing salespeople is what I'm hearing. Is that correct? A correct assessment? Uh, uh, the <laughs> easiest way. It's very hard to change 
So one of the things I talk about in the show, and I believe wholeheartedly is that there are things within your control and there are things that are without. Right. And I can't change the way my prospect enters a phone call or a meeting with me. Can't lay groundwork with them. I don't understand the baggage and the experiences they've had with other salespeople who are bad at their job, who have, I hate to use the word hurt them, but that's what scarring is, you know, mm-hmm. that I can't, I cannot control that. What I can control is my empathy towards that situation. My under, like my knowledge around how to address that situation. I can, like I talked earlier uh, about, I think we talked before the call about being obnoxiously obvious about mm-hmm. bringing to the forefront, your incentives and helping the prospect understand what's your, what's a win for you and what isn't because a lot of the time, Everyone just has this, a really good example. So if I, as a salesperson, I ask you how much you're spending right now on a certain thing and you don't want to tell me, that's just baggage. That's fear that I'm going to up my price or that I'm going to use that information to like leverage against you to get what I want. And to be fair, I totally am. Like that's my job is I'm totally going to take that information (laughs) and I'm going to use it quote against you. But this is where we as salespeople, this is the thing we can control is that I can create an experience where I am acting with, and I say honor, confidence, and integrity, because I think people have given me a hard time. Well, honor and integrity are the same thing, and I disagree. I believe honor is a reflection of your actions. I think integrity is something that you have and own. And so I can have integrity, but not act with honor on occasion when I'm not at my best. So when we're in those moments and we're trying to negotiate with our clients or our prospects, And we're trying to break down the walls and get to the things that we need so we can make the sale. We can do that with their interest in mind or our interest in mind. And if I can convince or train or quote unquote fix all salespeople, including myself, by the way, so that we can act 100% in the interest of the prospect, the next meeting they step into, they won't be so weary Uh, or suspicious of the salesperson sitting across the table from them. So to answer your question, your simple question that I've now drug out for minutes and minutes, (laughs) is this idea, yeah, if we can change sales, like the cycle of damage has to be stopped by someone. And it's not the prospect's job. It's our job as salespeople. It's our job to stop the circle of disappointment and to be better at what we do so that we could stop doing so much damage. Okay. I love it. So I I just want to see if I'm hearing you correctly. It sounds like you're creating more, and this is such a girl word. I'm sorry, but maybe not, maybe I shouldn't say that, but, um, don't hate on me if I offended anyone, (laughs) but, but I feel like it, it seems like you're creating more lovable salespeople who in turn create more lovable prospects. I don't have a problem with the word lovable. I just don't think it's granular enough, Yeah. but I think lovable is you love people that, you know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's kind of a fact you can't love someone that, that you don't know and you don't like, and you don't trust mm-hmm. I guess can, it's just a lot harder. And so what I want to do is, is when we walk in, so this is another great example about this, that foundational belief you are in sales. If you're a, a CPA and you walk into a meeting with someone and they need a $50,000 audit, you may not call yourself a salesperson and they might, may not call it a sales meeting. Everybody knows what we're here to do. You have a need. I have a service. I need to convince you to give me money to do that service. Like that is sales. Yeah. And we 
cripple ourselves as salespeople and we take advantage of the prospect when we don't pull that somewhat to the forefront because I'm going to spend an hour with that person. And at the end, I want them to give me money. Like that's sales. And so one of these things that we have to do as salespeople, it's our job to bring that to the forefront and to make the prospect comfortable with what's happening. And lovable is, like I said, it's not a bad word. It's, I think it's maybe incomplete. I want them to know my incentives. mm -hmm. I want them to like what's happening in this meeting. I don't want it to be uncomfortable. And I want them to trust the words that I say. And that if they do give me money, that they're going to be able to, you know, get the value I promise. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, part of that is the warm and fuzzy feelings of love, but it's a structural thing. And when I say love, like I I come from the background of love as an action. And so regardless Mm. of the term that we use, the word, you know, where I said lovable, no like, and trust, like that's the, whatever word describes those three things at the same time, that's what you're trying Mm. to create. You're trying to help salespeople become no that word for no like trust. And you, that's going to turn their their prospects into more, um, open where's a relationship and not a battle so much, you know, where you're trying to convince Mm -hmm. them that you're not trying to screw them, you know, (laughs) and (laughs) you know, you know, that defensive thing. So I love that. So when I, um, one thing I'm really curious about too, so you have this podcast, you've got this vision. I love your, I love your, why I love your vision for what you want to see happen. If you were to imagine a salesperson turning, tuning into your show, what kind of transformation can they expect if they were li- to listen to your show over time? Because you, as you know, everybody's busy. So what, if you were to say, like, if you listen to my show, this is what you're going to get out of it. This is what, you know, you, you know, you're yeah, so- that's, I mean, that's a tough question. You know, Sam. I'm, I'm only 19 <laughs> episodes in. And I think so a lot of this and a lot of what you find about salespeople is we may know what the end goal is and we may know where we are, but we're not 100% sure how we're going to get from A to B. Right. You know, that's one of the things I love about sales is that I know that I need for me to win. I've got to get from here to, you know, from here to this, this aha moment. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea if that aha moment exists for them, but I know that I need that if I'm going to ever get their money. Well, and that's that's why, that's why I love this question because it it takes out all the how it's like, we'll talk about how later, but right now it's like, Mm -hmm. this is where they are. And if they listen to your show, this is where they're going to be. Where do you imagine that that place is? Well, and that's, that's, you know, kind of the challenge is, is for each individual person. I mean, I could say, I can give you the tagline. I want them to be able to do their job with honor, confidence, and integrity for sure. That I just don't know what that looks like for every single person. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. what honor, confidence, integrity looks like for every person in every industry, B2B, B2C. So I guess maybe that's the, that's harder to pin down. But what I, what I can say is that I want people when they listen to every episode to feel encouraged. I want them to walk away with maybe something that they can think about as a challenge to apply against their sales process, either something that they aren't doing or they they are doing that isn't maybe the most edifying to their profession and, and to their prospects. But I just want us to be lifelong learners around the sales process. So just to clarify too, what I'm hearing is um, because if you're giving them tools, you're imagining that they're going to improve somehow. And, and I think that being able to do your job job with honor, confidence, and integrity, like you can picture that. I, I feel like that's a good end goal is they, you know, having that confidence and having that 
um, going from feeling embarrassed to feeling empowered and like, I'm a good person. I'm a salesperson, but I'm good. So I love the words that you use honor, confidence, and integrity. So I think that that's fantastic. Now, um, I know you're, you're, um, I don't want to say only cause 19 episodes, a lot of people quit before then. So very good job. Um, you can use only it's okay. <laughs> I'm not, I will not say it. I will not say only. Um, so what do you do anything right now to evaluate whether your content is resonating and have you made any adjustments in the past based on that? So I do have a handful of people that I believe listen to the show. I can't say no listen to the show, but they have they've indicated they're listening to the show. And I am soliciting feedback from those people. I I'm still early enough in my podcasting career that a 10% or 20% difference in listens from episode to episode in the first seven days doesn't really give me a wholly accurate, um, you know, view of whether or not people enjoyed them. So uh, I, that is one of my challenges. Though. That's one of the things that's frustrating for me. I'm in sales. I'm used to immediate feedback. I performed on stage for years. I've been in like a hundred different, you know, stage productions of things. I was in a band. I'm used to immediate audience feedback. Live is awesome. And yeah. Live is <laughs> like amazing. You know right then what's happening. Yeah. So, so do you, do you typically watch downloads? Um, are you on social media? I mean, how are you, how are you gauging growth? Yeah. Or so I watch the downloads. I get the metrics from blueberry or whatever. And, uh, I, I do post episodes on LinkedIn, uh, when I, every week, you know, when those go live, I, you know, I have, I think I just hit 40 reviews on, on Apple iTunes, which I'm told is, is a decent amount. And That's so great. <laughs> those are the numbers. That's what I'm looking. I'm looking at the numbers, you know, yeah. cause I'm a sales guy, of course numbers. Yeah. So, so, um, and, uh, before we go into what works, one thing I do have to drill down on is, so you have a job that, you know, you, you've got a family, you've got all these things going on. It's really nice that you want to like get out there and help people, you know, be empowered and live this out with honor and integrity and confidence. Um, are you plan like, what do you see getting back from your show? Because it's, you know, I've found that, um, you know, we talked earlier about pod fade. <laughs> That's, you know, the term for when people quit their podcasts yeah. and three out of five quit. So um, I've also found that if that's the only reason is just like this feel good, usually it's just hard to sustain, you know, it's really a ministry at that point, you know, mm -hmm. with very little giving back to you other than the relationships you build with your guests. So, so what is, what is it that you're, do you have something else that you're also looking for from your show? And my wife and I have talked about that. There's a difference between an itch and an investment, you know, mm -hmm. I have the, I have the itch to play music. But that's, I scratch that, go play music and I scratch that itch and doesn't itch anymore, which means you don't get out of bed for it because there's <laughs> no discomfort there. So it, I am hoping that it is an investment. I'm very conscious of the fact though, that I have a very good job that I don't want to, I mean, even if this podcast made me a million dollars, I would probably still keep my day job. Mm. Uh, if for no other reason, it gives me street cred as a guy talking about sales that I still, you know, I'm a quota carrying sales guy. So there's that part of it. I would love it. So there's this, this, this idea that things that have things that are free have no value. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously that's not true in all cases. Right. Lots of things that are very valuable that don't carry a dollar dollar sign on them. But I also know that when you make something expensive, 
people think about whether or not it's worth investing in. And so podcasts are free, you know, people come and go, I guess Apple gives you the ability to charge for them now, but podcasts in general are free. And so I think phase one for me is I want to build an unalienated audience. And that's my first goal is I want people to resonate with what I'm talking about. And, you know, if I then monetize it in some way, shape or form, I am not against that. I'm in sales, obviously I'm going to find a way, but for me, it's about when your audience is salespeople, they're going to be hyper suspicious for you trying to sell them something. Yeah. So I just want to honor the audience as much as I can before switching to some kind of monetize it, monetized model. The obvious end result is to offer some kind of coaching or course or something like that. And I'm not ruling it out, but I want people to want it. I don't want to push it on people. Gotcha. I think that's really wise. Do you mind me asking how many downloads do you have already? So I think, uh, I'm over, I just passed a thousand downloads and I think in the first seven days, which I'm just told is the metric, I, I bounce around 50 to hundred. So I'm still okay. very, I don't know if that's a lot and I've never researched it. Is that a lot? Well, one first, and I know first 30 <laughs> days, 147 downloads is average, which I question. like that was some statistic that I looked up and found. And I'm like, that's a lot of downloads unless it's your first show and it's like the first five that you released, you know, usually, or if it's a big name, um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that will help as well. But I would say that those are strong numbers. It's hard to tell in the beginning though, because you get kind of a better, you get a better algorithm, quite honestly. Yeah. Well, and I'm Um, I'm not going to be, I mean, let's be honest. Like I've got lots of people that are, I've got lots of friends and family. So you can't tell, I can't tell who they, that might be my They're mom not always three the of her best. devices, you know? So I'm <laughs> yeah. just like, like I said earlier, like, you know, you want to know who your audience is, you want to know how many listeners you have. It's really hard when you're at this level, like to know granularly who these people are. Cause I do yeah. have a mailing list and I look oh, at my good. mailing list and I'm like, half of these people that would read anything I send them cause they like me. Yeah. So, you know, you're just like, you got to try and figure that out. So do you email your list to let them know? Uh, I email my list once a month and I try and not let it be. I've promised them this is not a rehash of my, my four episodes from the last four weeks. I want it to be something extra. Sometimes I run ideas by them. Sometimes I ask, I solicit ideas, but like, Hey, what did you think of this? Uh, For instance, in this one that's coming out in June, I'm going to include the first, you know, kind of section of this ebook and be like, I'd love to know what your guys thoughts are on this. Does it resonate with you? Is it clear? You know, we'll see. So did you build your list through your podcast? Yes. Very nice. So on your, let's see. So they, and I, like I said, I've got your website open. (laughs) So do you, uh, I, I love at the end, first of all, I love that your show is, uh, like the length is perfect. I feel like it's ideal. I was able to listen to a bunch, get a ton of great value out of it. And then, uh, people are likely still hanging on to listen to your closing, which includes your call to action. And like, this is where you find me. And and typically are you finding that's where people are finding you and signing up for your show? Or is there another way? Again, it's it's very hard to tell because I'm not doing anything super fancy on the marketing side, like click tracking or anything like that. So I, I believe most of my listeners that are not my friends and family, listen, find me through LinkedIn. That's okay. the only social media platform I'm really diving into. I just don't have time to do the others badly. <laughs> so, 
Okay. Or systematically. <laughs> well, you <laughs> but, know, either one. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, I want to be, uh, you know, careful with your time. So we're going to talk about the, what you're already doing that's working and then we'll move into the, what I'm seeing kind of thing. What, uh, what do you think has been the most effective way that you've attracted listeners so far? So what I think is the most attractive way is the, is the the social media, you know, because I'm not a household name, I'm not Obama. I can't just put up a podcast <laughs> and millions of people follow it. It's been kind of one, it's been retail politics. It's mm. been messaging people on LinkedIn that are in sales saying, Hey, have you checked this out? And then Very posting good. weekly, the episodes, you know, and then trying to engage some people in, in commenting on it or something like that. I love that. I think that that is so brilliant just to be messaging people because number one, you're not just going, Hey, can I help you? You know, I want to sell to you. You're just saying, I see you do what I do. What do you think about my podcast? The end. So you're like providing value. So I think that's brilliant. Um, plus you're like, you're going straight to your target audience and they're the ones who are more likely to stick with it. So I think that's amazing. Um, and then also I love your logo. And let's see, I was going to check your, and I just feel like you've branded across the board really, really strongly with that. How do you feel about your visual brand at this point? So you're talking about the infinity symbol with the R and the S and all that yes, stuff. It's so nice. Yeah. Uh, it's so that when I started this podcast, I have one of my challenges to myself and my own personal growth was to be uh, quick versus good if that makes sense, mm-hmm. especially when it came to things like getting the podcast actually functioning. And so I committed to myself, I will spend no more than 45 minutes designing a logo. And so that I'm, I'm as confident as I can be for something I made in 45 <laughs> minutes. I'm sure, uh, I, I know that marketing is not my strong point. I'm a salesperson. And so I thought it was just good enough. I wanted it to be really simple. You see a lot of podcast logos and it's the person's face in a whole sentence. And I wanted mine to leave a little mystery. So Mm. it's just the logo, the R and the dollar sign, and then reclaiming sales. I wanted people to see the word sales. And like, you know, if you care about a sales podcast, you know who you are. And that I figured that was enough to get people to click on it and maybe read the paragraph. Awesome. And now I looked at your website. It doesn't look like you have a blog. You do have the feed going directly to your blog Mm -hmm. with the RSS. So with the content that's on each of the pages for each episode, is that the RSS uh, description that feeds into that? Yeah. To the best of my knowledge. So I have, I have three sources that I check after I post to make sure that it actually posted. And it's my podcast app that I like called pocket cast, Spotify, and Apple. And each one of them seems to show what's in the show notes differently. And I haven't quite figured out which one does why for what, but generally speaking, I believe it's set up that the body of the post, the blog post, which is usually a person's picture, a bit of a summary or questions, and then um, the, the actual audio file is what gets uploaded. But for some reason, like an Apple, they don't always show that whole thing. It's a it's a summary, you know, that I used for my website. So I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. Awesome. And then on social media, if you were to say, Hey, go listen to this episode, or if you're sending out an email and you're like, Hey, go listen to this episode, what link do you include? So I tend to include the link that goes to my website for the episode. I do that because, you know, 
if this ever turned into a big thing with a giant audience, I would love to have access to them and not put them through a third party, which is why I'm not doing YouTube right now. Because building, you know, 10,000 people on YouTube is something YouTube can just change on you without your permission at any moment. Or Facebook groups or, yeah. Or Facebook groups or even LinkedIn to some extent can just change the rules and suddenly I don't have an audience anymore. That freaks me out. So I like when people go to my audience or when they go to my website. And if you see, you know, if you've ever been there, there's the description and there's the link to the audio. But then on the side are like the 10 most popular platforms. So if you really are brand loyal to Spotify or Apple, the button's right there. And you can go get it there instead. Awesome. Okay. That is excellent. Well, I am going to, I I love what you're, I'm already like, I can think of like 12 things about what I think you're doing great. So I'm excited to transition into that. Um, So again, what I promised before you came on that I'd be prepared, that I'd give you an actionable step that would get you results more quickly. And I would first like your permission to move into that phase. Oh, you have my permission. (laughs) Okay, great. And secondly, before I do, is there anything else that you want to share about what you're doing, about your vision that maybe I didn't ask about or we haven't discussed yet before we do that? No, no. I think your summary was pretty good. You clearly did your pre-call planning. So that makes me happy. Yay. Yay. Um, So when we, before we planned this interview, you had the option to go two routes. I asked if you wanted to talk about preeminence, how to grow your audience, or if you wanted to talk about profit and clearly the right choice was preeminence and talk about how to grow the numbers as well as your credibility and things like that. Um, One thing I really like about what you're doing is that the people who are listening matter. It sounds like probably more than the number of downloads at this point, if I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah. I mean, of course I'd love a a bajillion people to listen to it, but (laughs) I I do agree. Like mom sitting at home, you know, or retired gentleman is probably not the ideal listener at this point. Right. Right. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and go into that. And I, you know, and we'll, this will be still a two-way conversation. um, But I, We'll start sharing what I think you're strong at, some areas of opportunity that I see, uh, not necessarily high priorities, but just different ways to grow that audience, as well as if I was boss of the world, what's the one thing I would have you do right away? But before I do, I just want to kind of ground us in the framework that I look through. I believe that there are four Ps to podcast preeminence. And when I say preeminence, I do mean the bigger audience and the credibility Number one is to know your purpose, which is why we talked about your why. Uh, Know your people. Who is it that's listening? Really dial into the audience messaging. Number three is optimize the promotion of the show. So what are you doing now to promote that's working? And then how? what would be the next step to uh, exploding that even more with as little effort as possible? Because busy people make great podcasts. So usually like I haven't talked to a podcaster where they're like, this is what I do for a living. And I've got all the time in the world and a whole team, you know, some people have teams, but usually it's kind of their side gig that supports their main gig. But, uh, so optimizing that promotion and then also earning proceeds, because at the end of the day, if it's not making any money at all, there's going to come a time that uh, it's just really likely that it will be tiresome and, and it just happens where we end up quitting. And I don't want anybody to quit, especially, I love your message. Um, in fact, I'm just going to go right into what I think you're really strong at. I love, uh, you just come across as a professional podcaster. So when I listened to your show, I was intimidated, like, oh my gosh, he's like a real podcaster. And 
you know, no sales. And it just sounded really professional. Your interview questions, there's a great flow to it. Uh, like I said, I, I popped in on a few uh, episodes. I, I'm just going to fess up right now. I listened to the entire episode with Angel Rebo. Uh, it was, it was so awesome. I absolutely, in fact, I'm friend, like we're connected on LinkedIn now because I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is the best thing yeah, ever. He's, he did a good job. Well, and two, I liked how you edited it. I liked that you had a cold open at the beginning. So people got to hear a piece of it and he's hysterical in the cold open. So if you have any, if you're listening and you have any interest in all in listening to sales, I mean, these episodes are what, like they're usually right around under 20 minutes typically. Is that true? Yeah. 20, 20 to 30 minutes. And then I've been at request of, of some listeners. I've been mixing in shorter, like 10 to 12 minute specific tips. Uh, and I hate to say tips and tricks, but like foundational beliefs, thoughts, or studies on, on sales and how to be better. So I'm mixing it up with the interviews so it doesn't get stale. I love it. Well, even the interviews, like it's so hard to keep interviews short. So I, I thought the length is so perfect, but yet you still listen to their story. Um, and then have really actionable tips. Again, I love your outro. I think your outro is brilliant. Um, again, I like your logo. So the fact that you made it on the fly is really impressive. I also really like your vision. I feel like you have a really clear vision of, and passion behind what, you know, why you're doing it. And within the first two, you know, within the first minute, I know that when I'm listening to your show. So when you said it to me, it made total sense because, um, you know, you do have, okay, this is just my own little thing and it's weird. And I don't know if it really helps, but just psychologically, I think it's brilliant. You have a woman doing your intro because I find that like, I have a, I have a man voice doing mine. I just feel like there's a, I don't know. I've heard somewhere that there's psychology behind that, but I haven't looked it up for myself, but I do it just in case. So I think I, I do like the flow of your intro and the fact that you have a second person saying your vision so that it really embeds it. Like, okay, I get it. I get what is happening here. Um, well, woo-hoo. thank you. What <laughs> could welcome. I do better? I, I, I still Let's have the good stuff though. <laughs> I have a couple more things. Number one, LinkedIn messaging. Brilliant. Uh, call to action on your website. Brilliant. Uh, the fact that you link directly to your website episode page, uncommon. I am shocked at how uncommon that is. And I tell everybody on this show that that's what they need to do. <laughs> so the fact that's, that's off my list of what you have to do, because it 100% makes the list. Um, if that's the case, uh, some areas that I see some opportunity, I love that you, well, first of all, before I go into areas of opportunity, any comments on the awesome sauce that just happened? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I get to, uh, brag to my wife that she made the list of one of the best things uh, about my show was her oh. intro. Oh, because she, I was going to pay someone on Fiverr to do it. And then I was like, you know what? You sound great. You come do this. I've got a microphone <laughs> right here. So yeah, that was fun. Sounds professional. She sounds awesome. So you can legitimately tell her that she did a great job. Um, okay. So some areas that I see opportunity. Number one is uh, your audience promise. I believe that, and as a salesperson, this will probably resonate just your vision, super clear, super clear. I know exactly why you're doing it, but just so that the selfish people of the world are like, yeah, but why would I listen every day? Um, again, it's a nuance. So you're still going to grow your audience. I just think that if you were just to uh, somehow get it in there, whether it's just you saying it afterward, like leading into your show, like, Hey, I care about, you know, you, you know, right now 
you know, everybody bashes on you, but that's not how your life's going to be, or, you know, however you want to say it briefly, but so people know that's why I listen to the show. The other mm-hmm. thing I like about a clear audience promise is it makes it easier for people to recommend it to other people because they can say like, oh, if you listen to the show, blah, blah, blah. But if you're, if you're like, oh, it makes me feel good. And I feel really encouraged. Like, you know, everybody does that, <laughs> you know, they don't do it effectively, but that's what everybody says. But if you're able to really tell people what the transformation is, then it gives them the words to say also when they're referring it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you think the best place to put that is in the, in the the introduction? Is that in the description on the podcast? Is that in the outro? Do I just sprinkle it through the episode? Like where's the great, the best place to, to put a hanger on that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of right ways to do this. First of all, I would make sure that it's in the first two minutes somehow. Okay. So even if you just said, even if you just said it as your opening, you could do that. Um, it, it doesn't have to be part of the intro. It could, but just within that first two minutes, I would just make sure to tell them that uh, I really liked your open. So if you didn't mess with it, that's great. But if you did, I just would say that that's just one little tweak that as you're asking for referrals or, Hey, if you know, a salesperson who also struggles with this, they also feel like this and they want to not, um, you know, it's just going to be something, you know, yes, put it in your description. You know, you can, you can sprinkle it wherever, because that's part of your sales for your show mm-hmm. without being salesy. Right. Cause you're really just audience promise. Okay. Audience promise. Um, okay. And then, uh, the other thing is that if, um, I'm actually going to save this one for the end. Cause I feel I'm, <laughs> I'm too predictable. It's the same thing. I feel like I talk about it all the time, but it, it just is huge. Um, another thing is that, uh, what was I, I was making notes and then I actually just wrote a half of sentence on this one, but, um, Uh, now do your, do your guests share your stuff very much? Like, are they out there promoting or do you, you know they're to supposed to? And okay. I think generally speaking, it's an ask I make. Uh, I don't have uh, a, a very strong, you know, I get a strong commitment, but I don't follow up on that and hammer them about it. So, <laughs> okay. I mean, we want to treat our, I'm, I'm super protective of my guests. Like I really just want them to feel special and get everything out of it that they can. So I don't want you to, you know, yeah. like one has to our, find that balance. Don't send Bubba. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so I, that's not what I'm talking about at all, but yeah. like, so fact- for instance, I'll give you an example. Like I ask everybody, Hey, you know, like, do you think you'd feel comfortable sharing? And, and then I, on the day it goes live, I send them an episode with the link to the episode and a couple suggestions on how they could share it. And then they get an email about a week later that says, Hey, thank you for sharing that post. Uh, even if they didn't, uh, just to remind them that they were going to share the posts. Uh, so that's probably as brutal as I get about it. Which is good. Like if you have a systematic way that every time a guest gets those emails, I mean, that's a really good, um, good start with it. Um, one thing that, and you might already say this, but just saying the fact that, um, you know, I'm thinking about the people you had on your show. I mean, take, um, take angel, for example, he is the CEO. I can't remember now. Doesn't he help people with like sales or performance or. He uh, is, uh, he's kind of, I hate to use the word coach yeah. or consultant, but he works with companies that are trying to uh, make their sales teams much more effective and grow and usually upper middle market companies, I'm guessing kind of like 
at least five people in a sales team, which is actually a lower middle market. But anyways, yes. Right. Okay. So I'm actually going to move into the, like, if I was the boss of the world, this is what I would have you do because it, it encompasses a couple things, but one, you don't really have to change. And one, you would have to change. And the one thing is, is I would, um, first before I, I don't want to make an assumption. Do you do a lot of SEO on your website? No, not okay. at all. So um, NPR and Edison Research did a study on how do people find spoken word shows like podcasts. And the number one way was web search. And the reason for that is like people just go and they'll look up like how to sell without sounding like a jerk or, you know, I mean, not that, but you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they'll look up the topic or they'll look up, uh, they'll look up what if I don't speak the language, you know, how to sell when in a different language, like that would be an amazing one. And so if you were to actually have a deliberate blog where you did have show notes, you had some kind of SEO done so that eat, cause it's each a landing page. So every now, time so let me, when you, I'm going to cut you off. Cause I need yeah. clarification here. I'm kind of dumb sales guy. Uh, when you say SEO, do you mean just using the right words? Do I got to put a special plug in? Oh, How gosh, does I one SEO their thing? Awesome. You know? I get to talk about SEO. It's like my favorite thing. Okay. So search engine optimize. So what we're trying to do is go, Hey, Google, we're awesome. So when someone looks up this term, you should come look at us in the old days. It used to mean like using certain keywords and, you know, stuffing them in there and being really manipulative about the whole thing. Google sniffs that out. And so it's a lot more content driven than it ever, ever has been before. A lot of us question, do they really have an algorithm? You know, (laughs) but, um, the fact of the matter is, is the things that work best are, I mean, having a lot of words that are different from other things. So like your website is different and has different words than say three other websites where the RSS feed also fed into, you know, so you have like a legitimate article on it. So, um, but do it like you're busy, you have a job. You're like, I don't even care if I make a million dollars, I'm still going to keep my job. I love it. So, I mean, if there was a way or a place for you to invest in anything, I would say that I would use Otter, which is free to transcribe your show and then have a writer or a service. Like for example, we use content fly and we'll just send the raw transcript to them and say, could you make this into an article, (laughs) you know? And then, um, you know, you're quoting the person, you include their contact information at the bottom. You've got your awesome call to action. So, so it is a landing page. It's like, you've got someone just found you make uh, a couple things that you can do to optimize it. And blueberry has like great tools for this is you can embed that audio right there too, because that's a download. So if someone finds you just from the internet, looking up a topic or guess what, if they look up angel's name and boom, there you're on the front page. So this is where I was leading to on this too, is if you have a blog post and you don't even have to do a lot to optimize it other than, you know, have, and you write good titles. So like, you know, use the good titles, use a different type, like just change it a little bit. Um, when I do a blog post, usually the actual blog title I'll optimize for the guest name so that when someone looks it up, it's page one for that person's, unless they're famous. And then you know, I'm happy if I'm page on page two. five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. It depends. Like if, yeah. Um, but yeah, page two, if it's like a, like a top real estate agent, I would say page two, but yeah. Um, but if they're like the globally known King of SEO, then maybe page five, <laughs> but regardless, um, 
what happens is so, so, you know, imagine it, people are looking up that person's name, you're talking to your guests and you're like, Hey, look, come on my show. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you because this is my vision. You're going to help me achieve that vision. They're going to love your vision. And so that's why you've already been able to attract all these great guests already. Then you can say, look, I'm going to be out there. And I actually, you're not even going to see a lot of the stuff I do. Cause I'm like doing stuff that works, which is messaging people behind the scenes. But, but when I post it, if you could share it, you know, I'll tag you that kind of synergy creates uh, you know, social media looks at that, like, Oh, that's like an upvote basically like, Oh, mm-hmm. somebody else liked what you said also. Um, and then like what you're doing where you're sharing it with them and then they can share it directly. Also awesome because you can in turn do the same thing. Uh, so the- when I, when I do my SEO, sorry to cut you off again, no, 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 um, when I'm doing this SEO, is it really just about putting in content or do I need to download something that puts it in the metadata and puts keyword focus and all, do I need to do all that stuff or can I just write good content? In a perfect world, you would have a metadata plugin that made sure that you hit all the targets. So naturally, when I'm writing a, like when we have a blog post, naturally, usually it will um, optimize for that. So usually what we'll do is like we optimize first for the guest name, pretty easy because they come up a lot in the show. The second thing, usually there's some topic. And so we just want to make sure I'll say, I'll tell you, like, I'll confess, I don't do any of that for my episodes because the rest of the backlinks and everybody sharing it, and it just gives it so much juice and the content is full of that topic. So I don't have to manipulate it very much. However, I have a main title for the blog, then I have a different title for the metadata. And then, um, you know, we're really careful about like what image that we have. So when people share it, it's the featured image. So mm-hmm. we, the thing, and so that little checklist, we'll make sure, like we make sure the description is not too long. You know, we mm-hmm. make sure that the keyword is actually in the description, which usually, you know, it would be when we submit writing to our writer, we'll say like, we, we want a blog post. We want two titles. Uh, we want a description that's no more than this many words we want, you know, because that's a metadata description is shorter. Whereas mm-hmm. when we're talking about uh, like an Apple description that's longer when we're talking about the RSS feed, that, that description is usually longer. Cause I'm guessing you go into blueberry and you're typing the description in and stuff like that. Is that true? Or, uh, no. So all I'm doing is I, I write the blog post, which have been a varying, some of them are pages long. Some of them are wow. a couple sentences and depending on how I prepared it and what kind of episode it is. And then I'm just hitting publish. Love and it. So I probably need to get better about that part. Yeah. But look at, I mean, that just shows you, it's like, it's just a tweak because if, you know, if you have a shorter version already, like that is your blog post. So what you're doing where you're writing it and it's almost pages, if it's over 600 words, I'm usually happy. Like if I have a podcaster and they're like, I'm looking at it and it's over that I'm like, okay, well you hit the threshold or, you know, 1200 is ideal, but for a podcast, if it's on a topic that people are interested in, it's, it's just got to be over 600 words. And then if you have, so it sounds like you're doing something really similar. I would just be more conscientious of like, am I hitting all the pieces? Like, do I have two titles so that it's coming up different as different content? Um, and yeah, and just kind of having that metadata in place. Is, is that helpful? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Thank you. And then the other thing with, cause we were also talking about using that blog post to help why I felt like it hits kind of two areas is 
um, when I'm having people on my show, like, let's say I want to ask somebody who's amazing. Who's like, like, let's say you have like the salesperson and you're like, I so bad want to interview. Like I call them the rock stars, you know, the rock stars in your field or anywhere in life. And, and you, yours could actually be rock stars because I know you like music. So, um, but in that case, when you're talking to someone about being on your show, in addition to knowing that you do the social media, it's also helpful for them to know, like, look at uh, angels, a good example where you could say like, look, I do a blog post. It's going to be, you know, something that when people look you up, they're going to be finding all your stuff because obviously your stuff is going to show up first. I'm not competing with you. However, it's also going to show that you're, you've been on this podcast. So it's further, you know, showing your credibility and as being a podcaster who pays at all attention to SEO, you'll start breaking into that space where you're like, look, I consistently am showing up higher on the pages. Um, yeah. So I would just say optimize your blog post would be my number one thing if I was the boss of the world. So awesome. was that helpful? It is. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. So, um, now uh, for all our listeners, as you're listening to this, I want you to go check out reclaiming sales. You can look it up on your favorite podcasting platform or go to reclaimingsales.com. Robert, thank you again so much for coming. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap? You don't know. This has been great. If there's uh, anybody listening and you're in any way intrigued or have questions or want to give me a hard time about some of my premises with salespeople, LinkedIn is a great place to find me. Uh, and, uh, and I'm happy to engage there. Awesome. I love it. Uh, and again, um, so that is Robert Gillette. Go look him up on LinkedIn as well. So let's see. Well, that's it. That's our show. So don't be average, everybody. Be brave, take action, and make magic happen. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening and happy podcasting.